Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. probably part of my lack of desire to, to go to some of the games in the last few weeks this just doesn't feel like the experience it felt like 2011 or 2007 or whatever when you didn't know what you were going to get but you knew it was going to be Tottenham Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View From The Lane, the award-winning podcast about Tottenham Hotspur uh, that comes to you from The Athletic. Um, I'm your host, Danny Kelly. Alongside me today, I'm delighted to say The Athletic's Jack Pickbrook and James Moore. Hello, Jack. Hi. All good. And hello, James. Hi, Danny. There's so much going on at Spurs at the moment. We thought we'd do a bit of a blue sky edition for you today. So many decisions for Daniel Levy to, to get right this summer. So we'll be discussing... The best and worst case scenarios for Tottenham in terms of how those those, those decisions might work out. Um, we'll also cast our mind back to a record-breaking day in 1991 and discuss another managerial candidate um, who is very happy, apparently, in his current employ. Um, let's start then um, with what, what, what where are Spurs going? And, that, and we all agree this is pure speculation. Some of it is just wishful thinking because two of us our Spurs fans, myself and James. Um, let's start, let's be optimistic to start with, shall we, um, with the best case scenario. I, I'll ask you as, a, as a, a, a neutral but involved observer, Jack, you know, we all know the, 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 the cliches are all there. Great stadium, magnificent training facilities, um, 10th or 11th, depending on who you believe, richest club in the world. Is there a ceiling on what Spurs can achieve? And is it just dependent on, you know, what's the best that the Spurs can be, even in the in the medium term? I think the most important, I know you said there that Spurs are what, the ninth or tenth richest club in in the world. I think the, mo- I think the more important thing to remember is that they have, what, the fifth or sixth biggest wage bill, and I, I believe it's the sixth biggest wage bill in the Premier League. And that, I think, is the more important thing to bear in mind when you're trying to think about what is the ceiling on what Spurs can do. I mean, I I think actually this season's title race is quite instructive in the sense that you look at how Arsenal have failed to beat, or looks like they're going to fail to beat Manchester City to win the title. You do realise that the existence of Guardiola City does, does itself impose a ceiling on what everyone else can do. So 
Look, I don't want to be pessimistic. I think it's unlikely that Spurs are going to win the league within the next three years. But I do think that if they get the next appointment right and they make improvements on how they recruit and the type of players that they get in, I think given the the sort of structural things we know about the club that are good, namely the stadium, the training ground, also just the, the name of the club, you know, the the brand being in London, which itself makes it very attractive to players and so on, plus the fifth Champions League place coming to the Premier League. I don't think there is... I think there is cause for, for for quite a lot of optimism that Tottenham can turn into a competitive team fairly quickly as long as they get the big decisions right this summer. Wow. The, the, them, those last few words are so... Yeah. They, they absolutely... <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they, they clang down the corridors of history if they get the big let, decisions Let the right. air out of his own tyres there, didn't he, really? Yeah. Well, you asked me for the best-case scenario. and um, I, I, But I, I admit it's a narrow... The path to that is quite narrow and the path goes through Daniel Levy making a series of correct calls on football matters and, um, you know, uh, listeners will have their own views on how likely that is, but that's kind of how I see it. James, um, I think it's fair to say, and this may be public-facing shtick with a pair of us, uh, I'd fair to say you're slightly more pessimistic normally about everything than me and I'm slightly too Panglossian for my own good. Too optimistic for my own good, uh, but I'll let you lead the way here. What do you see? Not, not. We'll, we'll do the immediate future next season in just a second because there's a lot of problems to solve between now and then. Um, but you know, I don't ask the question. Are you optimistic about what Spurs their seeding in the next few years? I, I mean, I would, to, to kind of echo what Jack said that there are reasons to be optimistic, but in the kind of short to medium term, I, I have very little faith that those correct decisions are going to be made. And as Jack kind of alluded to there, it's not just one, it's kind of six or seven, maybe it's who the manager is, probably who the coaching staff is, who the director of football is, who the new goalkeeper is, left-sided centre-back, creative midfielder, whatever else. So it's kind of recruitment manager, sporting director, and probably several other things that I'm not thinking of right now too. Um, and they need to get all of or maybe all but one of those decisions right for it to work. And, you know, Jack has mentioned Manchester City at the top of the Premier League and as long as Guardiola and maybe Highland are there, it feels very difficult to see anyone else laying a a glove on them. But there's also Newcastle who are probably going to finish third in the Premier League, maybe fourth. Uh, and will only strengthen further this summer. Manchester United, who may be subject to a buyout at some point in the next few months, which could potentially make them a lot stronger in theory. Chelsea, I mean, it can't possibly be anywhere near as bad as they have been this season. It's just impossible to conceive that they could be as bad. And, you know, they'll have to trim down that squad. Um, And I'm sure they'll bring in one or two new players again, or probably six or seven. Uh, and you would expect them to be up there again without Europe as well. It's going to make them very competitive in the league next season. So uh, I, I would put Spurs kind of in terms of the logic and the odds. So you'd probably say they were more like kind of seventh in the line at the moment, seventh in the queue. But that doesn't mean it necessarily always works out that way. They were probably seventh in the queue in 15-16. They were probably eighth or ninth in the queue in, you know, uh, 2009, 2010 and 2000s. 5-2006 when they came so close to getting top four. So it's not it's not inconceivable. It's not impossible. But you do have to get all those decisions right. And that, <laughs> you know, as Jack says, and as I think a lot of people think, it's 
hard to have that much faith in that decision-making process at the moment. I do think that City are really the only team who I think will definitely be there in the top four next season. I think there's a huge amount of variance attached to making predictions around, well, Chelsea, certainly, Manchester United, Arsenal, Newcastle, Liverpool and Tottenham. And you maybe have to chuck in Villa and possibly even Brighton to that as well. But I don't think, I think there's only, I basically, I, I don't think there's, even Newcastle, for example, who look very ominous at the moment, I don't think it's absolutely guaranteed that they will be in the top four next season, for yeah, example. Yeah, if you, if, you, if you chuck Champions League football at Arsenal and Newcastle, that, that's the difference. Like, it, it does completely change what the season looks like. So, you know, and, and they'll both strengthen, I'm sure. But yeah, you're, yeah, that is true, yeah. There's the different challenges for every team. And, you know, and, and similarly for Spurs next season, they're not going to be in the Champions League. They're probably now, it looks like, going to be in the Conference League or not in Europe at all, which you suspect means they won't end up playing all of their best players every midweek. So that could benefit them in the league too. I, I would normally think, you know, you're, you're, you're not that far away. You've got some decent players, Spurs. They do have to try and have to work out what they're going to do about and with Harry Kane. I must say, even I, glass half full, have been slightly soured by, I don't mind people making mistakes because that's the nature of life. If you don't try anything, you don't make mistakes. So you make mistakes, but you've got to learn from them. You simply have to learn from them. And that goes from whether it's Jack's tiny daughter stubbing her toe by not opening the door fully to go through it, um, to people running multi-billion pound businesses um, and Daniel has made Daniel. I don't even know if I've met a fellow once. Daniel Levy has made the same mistakes of not backing the managers and go back to Harry Redknapp with this at crucial times again, again, again. In recent times, he has appointed managers for reasons other than the long-term health of the of the, of the squad, um, and he must not make that mistake again. Uh, to repeat what you two both said, if he can break out of that shell um, and appoint a manager who wants to be there, I'm repeating myself now, who wants to develop a squad. You can develop these things very, very quickly. There are numerous, you know, even Xabi Alonso, who, you know, we'll talk about later, he's turned that team around, the Leverkusen team around in, in three months. It can be done up to a certain point. And so it is a lot of it down to him. I would... Be careful as well, because I had a sort of dream the other night about trophies and things, and I did a bit of research. Be careful, all of you out there who say, and Spurs have got to win a trophy. I, I know, I know, I drive everyone mad with this. Listen to this. The domination of the big six, and I include Tottenham in that, um, but they are the outlier because they don't win trophies in English football is such that this, listen to this. If you win a trophy, you are dooming yourself to relegation eventually. Here we go. When Leicester get relegated, and they will be relegated, in terms of, say, the FA Cup, that means you have to go back to the mid-80s to find the last team who won the FA Cup was outside the big six who are still in the Premier League. If, if Everton go down with them, you've got to go back to 1980 and West Ham United. That is two generations since a team joined in the trophy winning without it having some kind of long-term de 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 you know, detrimental effect. The League Cup is exactly the same, and the Premier League is exactly the same. When Leicester get relegated, 
you'll have to go back to the mid-80s to find a non-top six club who is still in the Premier League who are winning it, you know? And if Everton go down with them, we're back to Brian Clough. We're literally starting to see the film, the video, start to be a bit flickery. It's so far back in time. Spurs are a, a, a weird outlier now. They are either they're part of that big six, which I believe they are, all the usual matrices suggest they are, but just don't win trophies, or they're the leading member of everybody else in the football league, which is a dangerous thing to be. I think one of the striking, if you look, at, if you look back at Spurs' record in recent years, they one of the things that's striking to me is that they actually have a very, they have a very high floor. Like they've, you know, they're not a team who has a few good seasons and then just drops down into the bottom half. You know, if you look back to the seasons, so since they appointed Martin Yoll in November 2004, which is really when the kind of Enoch era started to take off. So that's almost 20 years ago. They've only had one finish outside the top 10 in the Premier League, which was 2007-8, when, as you know, they, they, they sacked Yoll and won the League Cup. So they've actually been remarkably consistent in the league. Um... You know, all, generally always finishing between sixth, seventh, and maybe third. Uh, generally always having between 60 and 70 points there or thereabouts, which is why, of course, we bang on about Tottenham getting 86 points in 16, 17 so much. And so th- this is kind of one of the big questions, really, when we assess, you know, what might be the best and worst, worst case scenarios for Spurs over the next sort of three to five years is, will they... What would have to happen for Tottenham to break through that floor? You know, is that floor something which is in place forever? Will they, or is there a risk? Is there a kind of downside risk that they might end up doing a Leicester or an Everton? Yeah, and the, no, that's the, and we'll get on to the worst case scenarios. And those are the two clubs that haunt uh, uh, haunt this conversation. Equally, it's worth wondering what is it about Tottenham which means that they do have this consistency of league performance. Because I know it doesn't feel to... Obviously, if you're in the sort of day-to-day, week-to-week uh, football news cycle, it doesn't feel like Tottenham are consistent because, you know, it's... it's but um, if you step back and just look at the performances over time, they actually are fairly consistent by the standards of, um, you know, of even other clubs around them. So, uh, I, I, and I don't really know why that is, or I don't have a good theory as to why that is. The, the, the people who are currently um, hashtag Enoch out, hashtag Levy out, etc., they would say that um, Daniel Levy feeds enough money into the club um, to make sure that they don't ever get into that kind of struggle because you know everyone remembers in the era pre-Levy um, that starting that, that average finishing position that you're talking about Jack and I haven't done the research here would have been sort of 11th 12th 13th 14th and when you're finishing 14th of course the drain starts to become remarkably nearby doesn't it um, and I think he's the the criticism would be that he does enough to and applies enough oxygen to keep the patient healthy without ever giving it the 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 other minerals and nutrients that would see it be competitive at the very top of uh, an English football league that gets let's be honest as well more and more competitive in one way. I also think it's uh, we have to be honest here and say that it's becoming less competitive in another. A combination of the things that Manchester City do and their manager, and their amazing squad of players, I think we're also sleepwalking into a kind of Paris Saint-Germain situation here, aren't we? Um, City will win their third title on the road, five of the last six. They've they've hoovered up the League Cup most years. The, the, the windows for this kind of glory that all these owners, managers, fan bases uh, aspire to, long for, 
is getting narrower and narrower at the present moment. Um, the arrival of Newcastle means that it will be, you know, that much harder um, for teams, including Spurs, to find these places in the Champions League that we're talking about. There's, there's another issue, I think, Jack, and that is, uh, and this is kind of more to do with the feeling around the club and the culture around the club. I have I have sat in, in Spurs crowds who have been grumbly, um, uh, and I've sat in Spurs crowds where at least one person booed the team onto the pitch. That was me. But I don't think I and it's the it's the age of the of, of you know social media and all the rest of it. The unrest that we're seeing now, which echoes unrest at other clubs in the previous five or six years, including Arsenal, not so very long ago, um, means is it's it's harder to maintain harmony. How can how can Spurs get can they very quickly restore harmony with with the fans? Or if it's broken, once it's broken like this, is it broken forever? You know, is it gonna be there's gonna be a faction of Levy out people. I know it's two people I know, physically know, personally know, cancelling the season tickets this week. Yeah, I think the interesting thing to me is that Levy out, Enoch out has all has traditionally been, I don't want to call it a fringe view, but let's say a minority view amongst the Spurs fan base. And my feeling, based on conversations I've had with people and my sense of the mood, is that there has been a big turn of moderate feeling against Daniel Levy and Enoch over the last season, or specifically over the last six months. And people that... I know I can think of so many people who traditionally were not, you know, Levy out, Enoch out, but who now say, you know what, I think this has run out of road. I don't think... I think he's made too many bad decisions over the last few years. I don't think he can continue to make the right decisions for the football club. And so that that kind of wave of moderate opinion moving against Enoch is, I think, one of the more, probably probably one of the more consequential things that happened this season. Um, what I don't know is whether, and I'd be interested to hear James's take on this, is how sort of terminal that is, or whether that whether that can go back in the other direction or whether that will fundamentally change James the is a very, very good litmus test for this, isn't he? Because he's, um, despite um, occasional grumpiness, he's a pretty moderate sort of guy, but he's also a season ticket holder. So this, James, is your chance to shine. Can the club win back your love? I, it's funny, isn't it? Because, I mean, we talk about all of those decisions that need to be made correctly, but the reality is, and we all know this, uh, they can make all those decisions correctly. And if that happens and Spurs are playing well and competing in the top four or, or higher and, you know, doing well in cup competitions and whatever, people aren't going to be singing Daniel Levy's name, not even going to be singing his praises. It's all going to be about this new manager and the new players and whatever else. So uh, in terms of like a sort of tangible reward <laughs> for turning it back around, I- I'm not sure there's going to kind of be an immediate uplift in terms of like Levy's uh, the reputation and popularity among the fans, but it would ha- it'd have to be a sustained period of relative success. I think wouldn't it? that's the only way you can do that. And you know, people weren't really whinging about Daniel Levy that much between what kind of twenty fifteen and twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. Because we had, they had a, I mean, a rip roaring team, when, didn't they? Yeah, and you know there were moments when you know we didn't sign a player in twenty eighteen, for example which we knew at the time was a bit of an issue we know now was incredibly damaging. But that, that wasn't, you know, there weren't people taking banners to games en masse or, you know, 
lots of chance of we want Levy out at that point, even when that was happening. So it, it, to answer your question, I, I, I'm not sure there's going to be anything he could, any one thing he could do that's going to get fans immediately back on side because it's a it's a bigger picture issue than just what's happened in the last two months. You're not just unpicking mistakes that have been made uh, since the start of the season. You're unpicking the perceptions rightly or wrongly held that fans have and have had over the last 20 years. Have you renewed your season ticket? I haven't yet, but the window hasn't closed oh. yet. Are you going to? Yeah, maybe. I'm going to get so much money back from all these games that I haven't been to that it's not actually going to cost, relatively speaking, it's going to cost less than it did when I first got it, I think. What's your What's your anecdotal impression of other Spurs fans you know in there? And whether uh, renewing or not? I, I definitely know a few people who aren't, uh, aren't going to renew, but I couldn't tell you whether that was like a higher number than normal, if you know what I mean. But, I mean, I, I would suspect there'd be quite a few people who think... But like, listen to your voice, uh, James. Point? Talking about, you know, you, you, you're going to get some refunds for the games you didn't go to. Therefore, therefore, you, you know, it's not an expensive item. It's, it's supposed to be a thing of joy. Holding a season ticket for a big football club is supposed to be part of a cultural experience that you have, a personal experience that you have. That's a joy. It's not supposed to be a chore. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I, th- that is entirely correct, but it has felt like a chore in the last what four or five months probably slightly longer than that uh, and the reality of the situation is it hasn't felt the same since I left White Hat Lane and you know we were talking on, on the last podcast about you know whatever it was six years since the last game I mean they haven't uh, whether or not this is necessarily a responsibility of the board they haven't made that place feel like home yet I don't think and, that, and, that, and that's part of like <laughs> probably part of my lack of desire to, to go to some of the games in the last few weeks. It just doesn't feel like the experience. It felt like not just in 16-17 when they're winning every week, but in 2011 or 2007 or whenever, when you didn't know what you were going to get, but you knew it was going to be Tottenham. You, you think this is to do with factors connected to the stadium itself rather than just because the team is now a bit shit compared well, no, to how I mean, it was? No, look, I mean, I think that's a bit chicken and egg, isn't it? I, do, I don't think the top, Tottenham's problems are down to the stadium, but I think they're exacerbated by the stadium. The timing of that move, you know, for the team to be on a downward curve immediately after that happened or actually with the benefit of hindsight slightly before, it does kind of lend to a sense that there has been this massive change in your match-going experience that has coincided with the team getting much worse. You, say, you sound like when, you sound like people I used to speak to when Spurs were playing at Wembley. I mean, yeah, it's not as bad as that. Okay, so let's. I'm, try, I'm trying to get. I'm trying trying to get some perspective on this. Yeah, like you were saying the other day, you know, you, st- you can still do your walk from Seven Sisters down the high road. You can still go to Chicken mm. or whichever one of the pubs you want to yeah. go to. But like in the stadium, the experience is totally different. Just the sense of it feeling like home. Uh, you know, how, how many great night I mean you, you, you judge it by the nights so you don't judge it by daytime games it's just by evening games how many great nights have we had at that stadium the Arsenal game last season I mean already and obviously like Covid and not having a game not having proper home games for yeah, that, that, that is, that is not the that club fight. or leave anyone else's fault but that hasn't yeah, yeah, helped either course, the, yeah, yeah. The, I'm not I'm no, not blaming no, 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 I know. the pandemic on Daniel Levy okay let me just check my notes um, no nobody else nobody is the only other uh, that's a really good question James and I think the only Apart from our, if if you look looking beyond Arsenal, the back at the end of last season, so just over a year ago, I think the next one would be. I mean, it's actually. I think the answer is beating City one 0 in the quarter final in 2019, which is like the second game ever played in the stadium, and is now f- more than four years ago. 
Um, and then what else would you have? Because um, they were like good result. You know, there's other league wins against Man City and, uh, you know, beating Chelsea early this season. Like good, good results that were like good moments, but not like a, a kind of game. Not, not like, yeah, not like elbow your bedroom wall moments. You know, not uh, you know, like moments that like uh, will stay with you forever. Like the Arsenal game that we won, despite what's happened since, that, that that'll be a game that we'll remember for the rest of our Tottenham supporting lives. It'll always that'll be like a, a, a you know reference point that we'll always come back to. But I don't think there are many or any others, and unless I'm missing something really obvious, that, that City Champions League game aside. Okay, the pandemic he had no control over, and nobody at the Spurs had any control over. The appointment of three successive highly defensive managers, they did have some control over, but the up the upshot is you've had five years when the stadium should be bedding in as a theatre of dreams, copyright Manchester United apparently, um, where it's actually been a bit of a, all a bit of a struggle. Um, and that has not helped at all. Listen, the corollary of this conversation about how quickly or otherwise Spurs could turn turn things round is the haunting discussion about what if and we always go back to 29 was the high watermark 2019 and despite all the lovely shiny stadium despite the training ground that apparently is better than a, a you know a four-star hotel in the middle of london what if the spiral was to continue to go down do they become you know we could we could easily experience by being outside of europe i think for the first time in help me james 14 years is it it's a long time since since Spurs hadn't been haven't been in Europe, and with you know with that does does, does the spectre of mid table mediocrity, or worse, and you know the, we have the examples. The Premier League is brutality made crystal. Leicester City champions not so long ago, very likely to be bombed out of it in the next week or so. Everton, a second successive desperate relegation battle. Um, is it possible, Jack, that Spurs could go that route? Um, no, I don't think so. But I, but I don't know exactly why I think that. Uh, because I do get, I mean, I do get quite a lot of messages from fans, like angry fans, saying, "Do you think we're going to do a Leicester? Do you think we're going to do an Everton? You know, do you think we're going to do a Sunderland or whatever?" And I, I, I just, it doesn't feel. It, I mean. So I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I think about this. Like I said a, f- a few minutes ago on the show, I it is really notable that Spurs do seem to have a very solid floor. Uh, that's F L O O R, not F L A W. And and I don't think I don't think they're at risk of having a, a bottom half finish. I just feel like the team is there's just too. I think there's a bit too much stability at Tottenham, even though they're now they're changing managers quicker than they ever have done before. The playing staff is always pretty stable. The playing staff is also pretty good. You know, they I know I know people say uh, that they don't like the, the gutless, useless Tottenham players, but the players are actually fine. Like they're they're not um they're not I don't think they're the, the the biggest problem at Tottenham, certainly. And so I think with this particular group of players, I couldn't see them finishing disastrously badly. Maybe in you know, if you were to say in three years' time, if let's say in three years' time, if Kane Son Larice uh, some of the other more experienced players had gone. Maybe they signed other big name players that didn't quite work out. Maybe they lost a bit of that, you know, the the sort of stuff that was holding them together. Maybe at that point there would be a bit more, you know, there would be a, a wider range of possible outcomes, and then you could foresee perhaps Tottenham struggling down 
ending up in the bottom half of the table. But I don't know. I can't quite. I can't quite see it. When I think of bad. When I think of worst case scenarios for Tottenham, I don't really think about bottom half. I just think about you know getting another manager wrong, not fixing the recruitment structure strategy, coming to the end of the era of Kane, Son, and Lloris without any kind of replacements or with enough coming through from the younger players that they have. And then sort of drifting, I guess, I guess the worst case, the more plausible worst case scenario that I think of is more just drifting into that sort of Aston Villa, Fulham, Brighton space, you know, rather than as in further away from the top teams. That's how I see it. Maybe I'll be proved wrong again, but that's how I see it. Danny, the, the, the scenario you're outlining there, like like Spurs properly being in a relegation scrap again, uh, I, I think you're, t- you're talking about like another like five or six years of, of entirely wrong decisions. No, no, I, I, I think the Premier League, if you're not guaranteed to be fighting for the top six, then you're in a relegation scrap at the start of the season. Aston Villa, uh, everyone's going no, on. No, I'm not, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure about that. No. Aston Villa, were, Aston Villa are, are going to very likely to qualify for Europe. For half the season, they were, they're going to get relegated. Yeah, I, I completely agree with James. I don't think it's quite as simple as saying it's, you know, six teams playing for top four and then 14 teams trying to stay up. I know it feels a little bit like, like that sometimes, but I do think there are... You know gradations, um, and one of the strata. You know there are there are different strata, um, and it's, so even, I don't think Tottenham are going to be. I think Tottenham is some way away from being in a position where it's a struggle to forty points. So yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not too worried about that. I know that people will point at Chelsea and say, look, Chelsea have gone from, you know, Ch- Chelsea went from having Thomas Tuchel at the start of this season to the worst Chelsea team for 30 years all in this you know in an incredibly short amount of time but I I don't know I always feel like Chelsea is a slightly more volatile club than Tottenham for all sorts of reasons also they've had the change of ownership which we're not kind of you know we're not pricing in a, a change of ownership into our Tottenham predictions at the moment maybe we should but we're not um I don't think the Chelsea squad is that good either. I think I think the Tottenham squad is actually a bit more sort of solid and experienced than the Chelsea squad is now. And I know that Chelsea have had more success in recent years, but I think that the the Spurs squad just has a feels a bit more sort of permanent and experienced. So I don't think you know even though what Chelsea are going to finish what eleventh or twelfth this year, even that I don't think I think things would have to go really 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 badly for that to be on the cards for Spurs next. Although season. you 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 will note. That Leicester won a trophy two years ago and finished high up in the league last year. Um, you know, th- so it is possible. And the danger is, in my opinion, um, Jack, of clubs that spend twenty and thirty million pounds on players while expecting to finish in the top half of the Premier League. And I know Daniel Levy's had his fingers burned, and that all of Tottenham's top four or five most expensive acquisitions could, at this stage of the game be regarded as either flaky like Christian Romero or downright disasters. Um, Some of them are out on loan all over the continent. Um, It strikes me that in order to improve the team on the pitch, you have to be looking at players one level above that. They're very hard to get hold of. There's a lot of competition for them, but that's the game we're involved with at the moment. But even Leicester, I don't think... I mean, I know... I see what you mean with with Leicester. Obviously, they've gone from winning the league and then to the FA Cup to what looks like relegation incredibly quickly. But even Leicester, like Leicester... You know, Tottenham are a much bigger club than Leicester. And I don't mean that just in the sense... I mean, one, in terms of prestige and, and that sort of thing, but also just in terms of revenues. You know, they make a lot more money. And that actually means that you have a lot more... You know, and I know that people will say, oh, well, 
Why did Leicester get, I don't know, Ricardo Pereira? Why did they get Tielemans? Why did they get Madison and not Tottenham? And I think some of those criticisms are fair. And, you know, Tottenham certainly should have got some of those players that Leicester got. But if you're if you're a club of Leicester's size, I think you have to be getting, you basically have to be getting every single signing spot on. I just don't, f- I think the idea of Tottenham doing a Leicester, I think is, even now, I, f- I mean, I feel like Tottenham, Tottenham are in a more solid position. I think it may be in part because Leicester's, you know, at Leicester, half the players who want to be there don't want to be there, uh, even more than it has ever been the case at Spurs. Plus, when you throw in question marks about the manager's future as well, it just feels like it was even when it even when in the good times, it felt a lot more unstable than Spurs was, and that's why it was so frustrating for them. They just missed out on on top four those two seasons in a row because they knew that that was their window. Whereas Spurs, you know, with Spurs, I feel like they're still going to be in the mix the next season. Just just to go back to what you were saying before about uh, it feeling like Levy was kind of topping up the squad, the, the transfer budget, enough to keep Spurs like around the top six. But that's the reason why I, I wouldn't necessarily be worried about a, a potential slide that far down the table because I would have the sense that if things were going really, really badly, they would invest more uh, to get the club back up to that sort of level where they were broadly competitive up towards the top of the Premier League. And I, I'm just going back a long time now, like 15 years, but in 2008-2009, when it, it looked like they might get relegated, they spent quite, in that January, they spent like 60 million quid, 70 million quid. There's like a lot of money at that point. Some of it on players who they'd sold like in the summer. I mean, a, a, a relatively large amount of money for the Premier League in that era, just to avoid like being sucked into the relegation scrap. Defoe, Palacios, so, Kudelski, yeah, Bonda, and Robbie Keane. Pretty good. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, to, um, well, it's not half, the last third of today's edition of The View for Lane. James Moore is with us. Jack Pitt-Brook is with us. And I'm Danny Kelly. Uh, you are the listening millions now, as it turns out. And that's exactly how we like it. A little bit of history for you. On this day in 1991, um, there was the FA Cup final. Spurs won the FA Cup too. And it, they had this so hard for me to read this. They won it for the eighth time and they were the most successful ever FA Cup final team then. Um, of course, they've been overtaken um, a lot since then. Um, and of course, a former Spurs trainee, Des Walker, scored the own goal that won the match against Nottingham Forest. I was there. That's all I'll say about that. Um, we should note that Xabi Alonso intends to stay in his current job, which narrows down the field of what is still, Jack, a spectacularly wide number of possible candidates for the Spurs managerial job. I'm I'm beginning to become convinced, and maybe it's because I just don't want to get into a slough despond, that, that Spurs have got a preferred candidate and they have to wait to the end of the season for that person to be able to, be able to say, right, I'm coming. Tell me that they're not just fishing around and still throwing, throwing bits of chum in the water hoping to attract someone well i think you are i think i think look clearly i think all all of the likeliest candidates at this point now that nagelsman is out of the picture and um luis enrique's name is not one you hear quite so much in connection with it nowadays all the as you say all the candidates work for other teams you know you've got deserbi at brighton on a slot of firenord Postachoglu at Celtic, Xabi Alonso at Bayer Leverkusen, Ruben Amarim at Sporting Lisbon. So all those five guys are still working with jobs and there's obviously quite a lot of sensitivity about managers, um, you know, managers announcing during one season that they're off at the end to go and manage a different team. I'm not, I'm not saying that I know for absolute certain that what you say is correct, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case and that, you know, uh, it was some part of part of this was to do with making a, a, a well and making an announcement at a time that suited everyone presumably though that they you, you don't just sit there and wait for the end of the season presumably ears have been bent behind the scenes tummies have been tickled uh, and all the rest of it yes i'm looking directly at yeah. you jack yeah <laughs> yeah 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 they clearly they are talking clearly they are talking to people all right um uh, the speculation is actually driving me a bit mad. I've got to, I've got to say that. Um, Jack, sorry, James, just very quickly, do you have a preferred candidate from those that are still realistic? I mean, at the risk of sounding a bit fickle, given I've kind of batted around between Pochettino, Spitz, Alonso, Gallardo for a little bit, who obviously it, it, it doesn't seem to be on the shortlist. I'm now probably more in the Arna slot camp. You're in the slot slot? I, I think. I'm in the slot slot, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it just feels like, and this could be entirely because he's a bald Dutch bloke, which has worked well for us in the past. It, he just feels like the one who's going to combine like a, a sense of being on an upwards trajectory, which is the thing we've talked about before as being really important. So it, it feeling like it will be a good career step for him, like he's not going to be resentful about being at Tottenham. Uh, has obviously won a title, which won... Obviously, it's a good sign in terms of his ability to manage a team, but also will be a, a kind of positive indication to the players. And Free just seems like a good bloke. 
which I, I, I actually think is maybe the most important well, thing. That's what I said when they appointed yeah, Mourinho. That's really important. You just, you just need, I don't want to be sporting a club that's got some kind of pantomime villain or actual villain at the helm. Um, I think Mourinho's a, a pantomime villain. Antonio Conte allowing, as always, for his um, the personal problems that he encountered during the last six months with Tyrant Spurs, I just think never wanted to be there and think therefore counts as an actual villain. Yeah, M- Mourinho had this amazing sense of sort of playfulness and uh, which didn't, I know it didn't always come through. I know lo- lots of people think he's very grumpy, but um, I think he could be I, very I look funny. back quite fondly. My God. Mourinho, I think, <laughs> relative to Conte. Well, yeah. Not for, the, not for the football, by the way, specifically for like the personality. I do think it's like a, it's a legitimate topic, isn't it? It's how, does the fact that the Conte era was so bad, does that make us reappraise how we saw Mourinho? Because at the time, everyone thought, oh, Mourinho, what a disaster, terrible appointment. He was completely washed up. I can't believe Levy went there. But now, now that Conte was so bad, who I thought would be better, it does actually make you, it, it kind of makes me wonder whether some of the, the things which Mourinho identified as being really, really problematic within Tottenham, like the attitude of the players, like the the failure of the board to marry, you know, their actual strategy to their apparent ambition. It does actually make you a bit more sympathetic to to Mourinho, as well as the fact, like you say, the fact that he did, for a lot, for some of the time at least, give the impression of wanting to be there. Um, and being a little, maybe a little bit more invested in the success of the team, perhaps. When he first started to appear in that lilac track suit, um, I think he genuinely, he, I, th- I think he thought he looked good, and I think he, he was happy to be there for a, for a little while. I, he was happy. He was happy to be there while he thought he was going to be able to win big trophies and prove everybody wrong that he was washed up. The second it became apparent to him it was going to be a slightly bigger job than that, I think he lost a little bit of patience. And I, you know, we could debate the things he said all night long, and um, some of them were right and some of them were wrong, as I think we said at the time. Uh, I, I don't think it was a mistake to sack him when they did. I, I, I haven't moved that far yet. A couple more things I'm desperate to get through. The mural of Harry Kane has been painted. People are overreading that, aren't they, James? Saying that that's, they wouldn't have been doing that if it wasn't going to it wasn't going to be their next season. There's, a, there's an, you know this thing they have this policy of pa- pa- painting lovely. They are very nice. The murals on the gable ends of of t- terrace streets, um, and of course the one of Harry is blue. And there's, there's a big one of uh, Son, isn't there? Of course, there's a Ledley King one. That's one. Harry Kane is one of our own. Surely they would not be allowing that to go up there if he was going to be two, three or four days where I'm saying, right, I'm off ski. I'm clutching at straws here. I mean, you kind of are, but it does also make sense. Like, uh, it does sort of... And this is like a kind of club enterprise, right? This is actually the club's doing. This isn't like... Is that correct? Yes. Well, I'm asking uh, the question, well, so I don't I have know. have to turn to Jack. He's the expert on the club. I'm not sure. Oh, the okay. mystery deepens. That, that's the crucial yeah. factor. It's like a third party. Sorry, I was actually, no actually WhatsApping Charlie. What, what's the question? What? <laughs> yeah, no, I was genuinely WhatsApping Charlie. Hi, Charlie. How are you doing, mate? We, yeah, we're, they're going on about we, Harry we, we, We're going to go get some coffee later. <laughs> we're not, actually. I'd, that'd be, that'd oh, be disaster. a disaster. I'm not going for coffee with Charlie today. No wonder, they, no wonder this podcast is shambles. We live quite far it, away from each other. That's the thing. Yeah, but there's time and place for love, isn't there? There's time and place. Well, I'll see him on Saturday. Does he know if this mural is club-sanctioned or not? Yeah, can you ask him whether or not the... Uh, no, it's his day off. I don't want to bother him with... Uh, 
I don't know. I don't about him with your questions, only with my questions. <laughs> okay, and there, uh, listeners, that you see how the pecking order works. At the top of the totem pole is Jack, uh, who can tell me, push me about. I mean, you know, it starts out being a bit of a laugh, bit of bants um, on the podcast. In the end, it's just elder abuse, isn't it? Let's be fair. Um, Jack, I would never accuse you of that, Jack. You're, you're actually a charming fellow. Um, the picture of Harry Kane is sky blue, which takes us on to our last uh, story of the of this podcast. Coventry. I love Coventry for various reasons. Not the, the town's lovely, of course, the specials and all that. Um, but the Richard football Keys. club. Um, less so. Less so. Um, former former view from the lane producer Tom Hughes. Absolutely adore him. Great man. We love you, Tom. Great man. Uh, listen, um, Coventry are on the, um, the the brink, the lip, the cusp, some say, of returning to the upper echelons of English football. You know, I, of course, have some thoughts about Coventry City. The, the FA Cup defeat in 1987 was one of the most disappointing days of my footballing life. A bit like Blackburn in the League Cup a, a few years later, I went to that final absolutely certain the Spurs are going to win. Um, when they didn't, I mean, I was, you know, obviously very deflated. Um, you've got your own Coventry memories I think you want to share with us, James. Uh, I do. Firstly, I want to say to kind of younger listeners or newer fans of the club, you may not realise that Coventry were like massively Spurs bogey team in the 80s and 90s and very early 2000s, I guess. Very, very quickly, I've just done the maths. And, you know, this is a team who are mostly kind of scrapping against the drop. They were like a perennial... Oh, they were often doing it on the last like, day of the season, they, of course, yeah. In, in, including once at Whitehall Lane, which we'll come back to in a second. Uh, but despite all of that, Spurs beat Coventry seven times in 18 games in the Premier League. So in the first nine years of the Premier League, they beat them seven times and failed to win in another, uh, in the other 11 and also got knocked out of the League Cup by them once as well. And the, that FA Cup final that you just mentioned in 87 too. So very, very much like Spurs bogey team. But that game on the last day of the season in 1997, when Coventry 1-2-1 on White Hart Lane to stay in the Premier League, uh, was my second ever game. Aha! Uh-huh. Which you seem fascinated by when I mentioned it. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, well, we, we all were because, uh, I, I mean, whether it's because I, I used to go to um, two grounds, Spurs and Arsenal, when I was a kid, when you could bowl up with your 10-bob note to go to the football, um, or whether it's because um, I, I've just been to many more football matches than perhaps the two of you two have, um, I have. I can't recall the first games I ever went to. I can remember the first incident I remember on a football ground. I was at Highbury and Arsenal were playing West Bromwich Albion and their future manager and coach, Don Howe, went on to manage their Arsenal's double team. Oh, sorry, coach the double team, broke his leg while West Brom were on the attack in complete silence in the ground and you could hear the crack. Um, that, that's my first memory of being at a football match. Um, but you, I don't remember the early games I, I went to specifically where they were. I remember being at Craven Cottage in a massive crowd to see Liverpool uh, play play Fulham. Can you remember the first game you went to then? If you can remember the second, you must remember the first, yeah, which is yeah. what? It was against Sunderland in November 96. Uh, and Spurs won 2-0. I think it has been discussed on the podcast before because there's a video that we tweeted of like Andy Simpson scoring a goal and me in the crowd in a yellow away Was that shirt. the same season, yes? Same season. I actually... Yeah, yeah. Sunderland finished below. What, 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 we Sunderland go. were one we of the go. teams that Coventry sent down by winning at Spurs on that last day. Here, here comes. I Jack. actually went to White Hart Lane before James did. I went to so, some family friends of mine who support Tottenham uh, 
took me to Tottenham 1, Newcastle United 2 in September 1996, when Rory Allen scored for Spurs and then Les Ferdinand scored twice for Newcastle. Is this... Is this you like slapping your Spurs credentials? Oh yeah, on the here table it thud down there. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, ha- have you have you have you ever been to Victor Wanyama's house? No, no, you haven't. Have you ever gone all the way to Brazil to watch the World Cup in the Maracanã and booed an Arsenal player onto the pitch? No, you haven't. Have you ever been on been on a football holiday in Mallorca and gone on a twelve hour bender because Spurs had reached the FA Cup final? only to realise the next day that Wolves had equalised and added on time, but no one had noticed in Spain. Um, no, you haven't. So you can take your um, whatever it was that you just thumped onto the table there. <laughs> take less I, was, trying to, I wasn't trying to beat you, James. You it was were. Just some, yeah. You were. Yeah, you were. <laughs> That's why you told me the story twice this morning, once on air and once off I was air. just preparing you for it, just so you wouldn't get offended. Well, clearly failed. Thank you all very, very much indeed. Um, I recommend to you Charlie's piece on what Spurs want from a director of football. Good that he manages to write the occasional piece uh, in between communing with Jack. And so I absolutely recommend that to you. And if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, you should sign up now and read all of the incredible Spurs coverage as well as everything else on the site. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for $1.99 a month for the first 12 months. That address, as always, is theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Uh, thanks for listening. Remember, you can get in touch with us uh, via email these days, vftl at theathletic.com, vftl at theathletic.com. Thank you, James. Thank you, Jack. We'll be back. I, we haven't been bothered to, to preview uh, the weekend's football match. We'll, do, we'll talk about it. Uh, we'll talk about it uh, because the issues are so much bigger now. The shadows are so much more looming. Um, the individual games have become less of an issue. We'll talk about uh, what happened of that next time we all meet together on The View From The Lane. The Athletic.